Hello, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Linky Guys. My name is Father Peter Mossett. My name is Scott Powell. Um, so what we just did is um, I pretended to be all the other Catholic podcasts. Yeah. And I and I and and then we realized that we can't introduce ourselves as the other podcasts because we had surprisingly funny imitations of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if but you we're have, not them, we're us. We're we're us, and you know, you just gotta you just gotta be who you are. Yeah. So if you're looking for the Bishop Barron podcast, you didn't find it. You found us. This is this but is not the word. Off. This is word on the hill, not the word on fire. Ah, oh, the word on fire. That could you could actually get here accidentally. Yeah. 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 We're, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I, I just like everybody. 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 I mean, you're supposed to. Yeah. You're actually supposed to love them. You don't have to like them. That's true. So I don't like all of you, but I love all of you. <laughs> yeah, on. that's yeah. what you're. That's I, what's asked of us. That's what's asked. Of us. This is a strange. This is getting weird. So, um, Scott, I uh, yes, Father Peter. Um, I have to tell you, I I watched the the movie, um, um, Toy Story Four. Frozen. Oh, Toy Story Four. Toy. That's the most recent one, right? Yeah, yeah. And there and 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 I've a Canadian features prominently in that. What's the Canadian? I feel like I've seen that movie. Yeah, he's that. the he's the daredevil motorcyclist in it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I, I I guess I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah, I saw three, and that was the last. That's as far as I've gotten. Yeah, three was the best. There was like such a good moment. And I think four was very good. The Canadian is Ben Stiller, isn't it, or somebody? It's some <laughs> actor that I, I really enjoy. I don't know, but speaking of Canadians, yeah. Oh man, Father Peter, I okay. I want to make sure this comes out right. So I I don't speak and travel a ton, but I I travel around enough. Right. You know what I'm saying. And consistently, consistently, I don't get warmer welcomes places than I do in Canada. The Canadians just consistently, depending on, and they're different groups of Canadians. They're just, they love the podcast. They're so warm. They're so excited, you know, to hear about what we're doing and hear the faith preach. So I was just up, literally I left a couple hours ago from Toronto to fly back down here. But I was in the Diocese of Hamilton with uh, McMaster University and their Catholic chaplaincy hosted this gathering of a bunch of the different uh, campus ministries up there. And um, it was such a blast. It was so much fun. So I just want to thank Father uh, uh, Rachel and Father Marcus and Sarah and the whole crew up there. It was just so much fun. And they they listened to the podcast, Father Marcus. Um, but we were in the old diocese cathedral. They've since built a new one. But I, I asked the question, what was a pro-cathedral? Remember on the podcast yeah, yeah, last yeah. week? A pro-cathedral, apparently, it was the cathedral that was used before and during the construction of the new cathedral. And by new, I mean like the 1920s. But I guess a cathedral can never cease being a cathedral. So because it was the cathedral and then they built a new one, it can't just be relegated to just a regular old church. So it was like a proto-cathedral. Which oh. it's interesting. So they still have like the seat of the bishop there, like the old seat of the bishop. But it was, I gotta say, it was one of the most beautiful churches I have ever been in. St. Mary's Pro Cathedral. Proto-cathedral. It was really cool. Anyway, I'm fresh, I'm fresh off the boat from that. So I just want to thank you to all you guys up there. Yeah, they're I mean, cool. Yeah, yeah. You smell. You still smell like I smell like Toronto. Oh, yeah, like airplane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, well. Anyway, anyway. Uh, you, so that that's wonderful. That's why I brought so up that's Canadians because you because I I feel the love remotely. I'm sad I was not there with you. They were also sad and, that you um, were not there with me. Yeah. So you guys are the you're best. The, you're the better Thank, portion. Thanks for the love. No, I'm you're not. the better portion. You know what I was thinking Let's about, Scott? What? I was like, <laughs> literally. Listening to the podcast is like getting 
a master's level education in the scriptures. Mm. I hope that's true. I really think so. I hope it's true. I mean, think about think about how much knowledge is dropped. I mean, we and, drop a lot. I mean, and and it's like, and we, and we drop a lot, and we drop it like it's hot. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, my thought is always my hope. I mean, again, for all you priests who listen out there, and I know there's some of you, and I know there's some of you who do it incognito, which yes. is totally and, cool. And don't advertise it to your people so <laughs> no, that they don't they don't reveal this. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell. Yeah, um, but, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I love. I mean, I I I think that. I don't know. I mean, you guys in seminary, you have a lot that you have to study. You have to study pastoral things and philosophy and the realms of theology. But I just, the scriptures are the things that you guys have to deal with every single day. You have to think every single day of your priestly life, as you say mass, of something to say about the scriptures. And it's something that you, I just don't think our priests get enough. And I don't think there's, I don't know how to change that because there's so many things you guys have to study. And so my hope is, you know, like for 45 minutes, we can give you a crash course, like a little class, like a master class, right, on all of the readings together. So you don't have to go back to school. You don't have to get another degree because you can get this little class and then you can do whatever you want with it. But I, I hope that's true. And I, I, we're trying hard to just Dude, have this I, service. I think we should start issuing Lanky Guys decrees. Degrees or degrees? De- decrees. Because those are two different things. I decree I will, uh, let's, that everyone must listen. Let's do a decree and a degree. We decree that we will do degrees. <laughs> so oh, let geez. it be written. So let it be done. 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Just jumping in. Okay. The Feast of St. Edward. Just, Edward of what? I, I feel have, like there's got to be a, a have, suffix to that name. I have no idea. Literally. Just St. Edward? It just says St. Edward. I, I don't like know. There's if... been a lot of St. Edwards. Maybe not, yeah, though. Yeah. Okay. So our first reading is yeah. from 2 Kings, uh-huh. chapter 5, 14 to 17. Boom. Yo. Naaman, baby. I wish I had Naaman and Clayman. Naaman and Clayman. Uh, our response to Royal Psalm is Psalm 98, verse 1, then 2 to 3, then 3 to 4, and the response itself is from 2B. Or not to be. Second yeah. reading is from 2 Timothy <laughs> chapter 2, uh-huh. 2, 2, 8 to 13. 2, 2, 8, 13. Good. 2 Timothy 2, which is 2 Timothy 2, 22, which is like the focus thing, teaching teachers to teach. 2, 22? 2, 2. Timothy 2, 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, I think, right? Cool. Well, now you've confused I me. like that. All right. That's the teach teachers how to teach, right? Yeah. Okay. Two, 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 T, T, T. Oh, two, 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 T, T, T. Our gospel is coming from the gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. We are still pushing through the narrative, just piece by piece. By piece yeah. Which is kind of cool. All right. So All right. So there we are. Well, good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. Scott. What? They're still here. Oh, my goodness. The All right. C- I want to talk about Naaman. Can we talk about Naaman for a little bit? Um, yeah, I would like to talk about Naaman because like, I actually think the context of this is really interesting. Did you read the context? Because the story is, and we're, you know, we're, we're getting the meat and potatoes of it and that, that's true, but it's a really interesting story. It's, so it's the climax of the story. Really? It, it's, yeah. the, it's the new equilibrium. The new equilibrium? Yeah. So every story, so what happens is that your, your main character in a story Starts off and they have they have a problem. Either it's a psychological or a moral problem. Psychological means they're ruining their own life. What if they have leprosy? Moral then, kind of then they're ru- ruining other people's lives. They can't have a physical problem. So this that seems is, limiting. Is it, well, it, okay. So they have the, so Naaman has. I mean, he problem. literally has a skin disease. But I, it it probably you're right though because especially in the Bible, I mean, 
there there is there's a deeper reality that's going on. I mean, it's not just a story about what to do with skin diseases. It's a story about a much deeper spiritual issue that's that's being exposed here. Well, so yeah, you're right. I'm just messing with it, you a little bit. In a, in a certain sense, what do we say? That the, the leader embodies their people. So as Naaman has... Naaman's not a leader, though. Oh well, no, no, he's he's he is a leader. Okay, he but he's he's not one the of the leader. commanders of the king of Syria. So he's one of the big wigs in the military of Syria. Okay, so yeah, he's he's a big deal. But but they're You're right. but he's not embodying his people. Not in the same way a king would. Right. But but leprosy is important because leprosy. I mean, the whole reason that in the Jewish law, leprosy. I was about to say leprosy is illegal. No, leprosy is not illegal. But when you have leprosy or if you have this sort of skin disease, you're you're cut off from the community for a period of time, not because you're bad or yeah. you're immoral or something like that. But the idea was, well, the the disease or, or any kind of anything that reminds us of death is meant in the old law to remind us that death was not supposed to be. Mm. And someday death will be no more. And so they go through these practices of certain ways of having to deal with diseases and any diminution of life because they represent a deeper problem of death that has entered into the world that God never intended. That he never decreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well said. Dude, you had so many oh Ds. Gosh. I just want you. Did I? Yeah. I want everybody who is just listening to this, just rewind 30 seconds and listen how many They're D words not going to. Said. No, they will. They will. I know our listeners. They'll actually do it. <laughs> Do it with a D. All right, um, but but to back up even a little bit further than that. Well, no, well, I guess we're zooming in. So we talked about, but uh, back it up, zooming in. Where are we in the story? So Second Kings, we're in the story of Elisha. So most of us have heard of Elijah. Elijah was known as one of the greatest prophets in Israel. He was sent to the northern kingdom at a time when. Actually, Elijah believed that there was nobody faithful left. He's like, am I the only one here? And God sort of answers that. But he, he's sent to preach against kings and their evil ways and, and try to show that there actually is only one God, even though Israel has fallen into worshiping all sorts of other gods. Uh, but eventually, Elijah's time for ministry is done, and he passes the baton to Elisha, who... Well, actually, it's fascinating. Elijah gets all the credit, right? But if you read the story carefully, it's Elisha who goes on to do essentially double all of the miraculous stuff that Elijah does. And there's this, that's actually, that's worked into the, into the narrative of all the doublings. And there's a, there's a foreshadowing here of John the Baptist, who Jesus actually says is the new Elijah. And this giving of a double portion of authority to Jesus when John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And it's not really John bestowing authority on Jesus, but in the symbolic way, Israel should be reminded of like, oh, wow, that's kind of like Elijah and his giving authority to Elisha at the Jordan River. And then Elisha goes on to do way more than Elijah did, just like Jesus will go on to do even greater things than John did. And so it's kind of setting us up. And the church will then do the great things we'll continue in, it on. in Jesus' yeah. Even more. So where we are, the reason I bring all that up is that where we are in the story, so from about chapter four through chapter seven of Second Kings, okay. it's all the stories of Elisha's miracles. Okay. It's all the narratives of here's what he did that kind of one ups Elijah's. Not not in a negative way, but he just he does more. <laughs> Dude, I was I had the Archbishop over for lunch yesterday. And I, I felt terrible because I accidentally one-upped him on a on a story. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it was shoot. I know you. So you don't want to do it. So he's not doing that. No, he's not doing he's that. Not God, God is doing it. But right, if God, exactly. If God one-ups you before the bishop, then then so be it. <laughs> Praise be to God. For that, I guess I don't know. 
I, I'm in dangerous territory. Here. We are all in dangerous territory here. <laughs> <laughs> so is Alicia. So that's good. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So Alicia is known as this guy who's doing miracles. So we get this sort of segue into this guy named Naaman. And Naaman, like I said, he's a commander. He's a big wig in the military of the king of Syria. And Syria, not Assyria. There's a, there's weird geographic and political confusion. It, it's a confusing time. Right. Assyria is is going to eventually be a nation that overtakes Syria. <laughs> All right. So he, uh, this Naaman, he's a big deal. He's in Syria. He was a great man. He was in high favor. It says. Um, it says he was might. I'm actually reading a little bit earlier in the story. He was a man mighty in valor, but he was a leper, which is kind of a big deal. So. I, a leprosy, I don't know what kind of leprosy he has. I don't know how severe it is because it appears that he's still serving in the military in Syria. Now, I know Syria didn't have the Levitical laws that Israel had, so there's no legal reason he needs to be cut off. But tells me it's not like debilitating because he's still kind of doing his job. Yeah. But he's got this big problem. So he's got leprosy, some sort of skin disease. Um, and he hears or he heard a rumor that, hey, there's this guy in Israel there's this prophet in Israel that is known to heal. And that's, I think, kind of one of the most important parts of the story, that all the way in a foreign land, in an enemy land, actually, there's this guy who heard about a mighty prophet of God who does mighty deeds. And someone's like, hey, Naaman, you should go find that prophet in Israel because maybe he can help you. Mm. And he's like, Okay, there's, there's, which sounds, I mean, you can read it in this sort of, um, what's the word, a superstitious way, like, oh, there's a magician who's better over there, but you could read it superstitiously, or you could read it in the way that there, there is at least a doorway of openness of faith on the part of this guy. He's like, I'm actually open to what God is doing in the world, even if it's the, someplace beyond me. Well, dude, this is the same thing that happens today. Yeah, totally. You, you have somebody who's really struggling with a thing that can't be diagnosed by traditional medicine, and yeah. you're like, hey, I know this person who's got this like special thing that they do with this thing over here, and you're like, I'll try anything because I'm looking for healing and I don't know where else to find it. And whereas like Western medicine has a tendency to just cut it or drug it. And you're like, like, I'm going to do something else. I kind of feel like your analogy is very specific to Boulder County, (laughs) but that's okay. I mean, that's no, no. I mean, like, (laughs) no, it's, I know it's not, but, but I mean, (laughs) but you and I know we're friends with a lot of people. They're like, Hey, let's, let's try these different strategies. Yeah. yeah. Which we're, we're, yeah. Which are quite effective often. Absolutely. Right. So he, he hears that somebody's like, Hey, you should try this. And so it's actually kind of a funny story. So he sends word to the King of Israel. And when I say Israel, I mean the Northern kingdom. That's really bad. (laughs) So he's like, Hey, Northern King, he sent this message. Um, what does it say? He sent 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold, a bunch of money. And basically he says, um, when this letter reaches you, O King of Israel, know that I've sent you name and my servant that you can cure him of his leprosy. Hey, my guy has leprosy. Here's a bunch of money. Can you cure him? To which the King of Israel is like, are, are, you, are you kidding me? Like he thinks it's a joke and an insult. He's like, are you mocking me? Like, are you mocking me saying, like, I have these magical powers? Like, who, what, are you, what are you doing here? And it, it, so he thinks it's actually like a provocation of war. He's like, Whoa. are you trying to take us to war well, right Yeah, now? yeah, because if you accept the money and then you're not healed, if you don't accept the money, then th- there is a whole lot of it's weird— It's messy. You could see you're like, I don't understand what you're trying to do here, bro. Right. But Naaman doesn't understand who Alicia is because Naaman seems to think that Alicia is like one of the court people 
prophets that happens to like live in the court of the king, which was fairly typical in that world, doesn't realize that Elijah and Elisha are in this tradition that actually their job is to speak against the kings. They're the thorn in the side of the kings. But Naaman's like, oh, there's some prophet up in Israel. I'm sure the king knows him. Not to, you know, not realizing that, no, it's actually the opposite. So the king, like, thinks he's being called to task, thinks he's going to war, rends his garments, like, he's mourning, he's like, oh, no, this is terrible. Elisha hears rumors that the king is rending his garments. He's like, wait, the king's rending his garments? I I don't know, I was laughing when I was reading it, just because it's so... When he heard that he had torn his clothes, he sent word, he's like, why'd you tear your clothes? Which, I don't know, I read that humorously, it's not that funny. And and he's like... I see why it's funny. It's a little funny. But basically, Elisha's, Elisha's like, I know what's going on here. And king who are terrible and actually don't like me and want to work against me, I'm going to take care of this for you. Dude. Basically, he steps in. And he's like, I'll take care of it. Do you know that whenever I hear somebody rent their clothes, I think of Hulk Hogan and yes. late night r- r- WWF. That's dude. what you should think of. Yes. He, he turns love. green and he get, his muscles grow and he's like, oh, the king of Syria is that, against me. That's the Hulk. That I'm thinking of, of Hulk Hogan. Oh, I was thinking of the Incredible I'm gonna, Hulk. I'm gonna get you. Well, the Incredible Hulk rent his clothes every time he, he like did, he did turned I, magically green. But Hulk Hogan is a real human being who really ripped his t-shirts off. Okay, you're saying the Hulk was not? No. <laughs> okay. Wow, wow this got real here. Uh, all right, let's get it. It's getting the weird. The Hulk is not real, bro. All right. So anyway, Nathan comes. He's like, okay, good. So he comes with his horses, his chariots. He goes to Elijah's house. He, like, finds out his address, which I think is funny. He's like, I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to find this guy. And it says he he halted at the door of the house. And Elisha sent a messenger out to him saying, all right, here's what I want you to do. It's funny. In the story, Elisha doesn't interact with Naaman. Why not? I don't know. Foreigner? I, no, it's not that he's a foreigner. It's that he has leprosy. And according to the Levitical law, you're not supposed to come in contact with people who have leprosy because oh. it's this diminution of life, this sign of death that makes you unclean. And Elisha, one of the things to remember is that he's trying his best to stay faithful to the law in this place that doesn't care about the law. So it's actually important. He's like, I'm going to send somebody out. I'm going to send word, but I'm not going to break God's laws. I will make this man well through the grace of God, but I'm not going to break his commands to do it. So he's like, all right, tell him to go down to the Jordan, go down to the river and wash seven times and you'll be clean. And Naaman hears it and he's like, that's the message? He's like, I didn't even get to meet the guy, number one. He told me to go into the Jordan River, which is known to be one of the dirtiest rivers around. Yeah, he's like, there's lots of rivers in my country. Yeah, that he's are like, I could have stayed than- home and taken a bath there if that's what you want me to do. And it's kind of funny, but one of his servants is like, hey, if he'd have asked you to like jump up and down and spin in circles and recite this incantation, you would have done it, right? And he's like, yeah. He's like, all he's telling you to do is go to the water. He's like, that's way easier. He's like, try, just try it. Open yourself to it. And Naaman's like, all right. He kind of softens. He's like, all right, this seems silly. This seems ridiculous, but I'm going to open myself to it. And he goes down. And I mean, the symbolism of baptism is just off the charts here. Mm. He has this diminution of life. He is dead in his skin. And he goes and he plunges himself into the Jordan River and he comes out cleansed of this thing that represents death. He goes from death to new life in the waters of the Jordan River. And he's not doing it three times like what we think of as baptism. He does it seven times, which is the covenantal oath formula. 
So he literally is entering in a certain sense into an oath with the God of Israel and saying, I'm kind of entrusting myself to you through your prophet uh, Isaiah, or Isaiah, Elisha. And he's healed and it's amazing. And he's like, this is incredible. And he goes and he's like, I, let me pay you. Let me give you a, tons of money. I mean, you've healed me. And Elisha's like, I don't want your money. And he's like, then let me take, what does he say? Two mulefuls? What is it? How much does of he dirt? want? dirt, yeah. Two mules burden of earth. So that I can worship, because in the ancient world, I mean, and actually, no, you got it. You got to hear what he said. And I, I, yeah, this is in the reading. It says he returned to the man of God and all of his company, and he stood before him and he said, "Behold, now listen to this. I know that there is no God in all of the earth, but in Israel. I know that there is no God. That is an expli- as explicit a confession of faith as you will find in the entirety of the Old Testament." There's a lot of people that are like, yeah, no, your God is awesome or your God is cool or we are in fear and awe of your God. But I don't know of anybody else, especially from a foreign nation who says your God is the only God on earth Mm. in this polytheistic culture. He makes this profession that's profound. He's like, let me pay it. He's like, I don't want money. So he's like, well, let me take chunks of earth because, you know, in the ancient world, gods were always associated with places. So this is where we get the idea of pilgrimage from, right? You would make pilgrimage to the to the worship site of a particular god to offer sacrifice. Chimayo. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can't go. So let me at least take a part of your god's land back with me, which is actually sounds, again, kind of superstitious unless you realize like, no, I want to take a piece of this experience and a piece of what I've encountered here with me. And then you get a lot of very kind of Catholic ethos kind of a thing, right? Where we bring with us rosaries and holy water and even relics. Like we even understand dirt that from material. Yes, but matter matters to us. There is something significant about the place where something took place right. that kind of helps us recall. So he wants to take back part of the earth to remember and worship God there. And he actually says later on, he's like, look, later on, I'm going to actually go with my boss, the king, and he's going to make me kind of go through the motions of worshiping these other gods. I'm going to have to do it. Like, I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to kind of go through the motions in these temples. Do you think God will forgive me? And Elisha's like, go in peace. And it's actually this really beautiful scene where he's like, I get it. I know that there is one God and it's Israel's God, but I'm going to get killed if I, you know, if I, right. I proclaim this. I, I'm not worshiping this God, but I need to go and I kind of have to do my job. Like, is there mercy for me? Where is the mercy? Where is the forgiveness for me? And Alicia gives him this kind of reassurance and comfort. It's this really, really beautiful story of this foreigner who honest to goodness, gives one of the most explicit and beautiful professions of faith that you will find in the entirety of the Bible. All at, actually not even at the hands of Elisha, at a message that was given secondhand from Elisha, that this guy gets ticked off at. I mean, how many times in our lives do do, do we feel God is moving on us in a particular way and we get grumpy about it? And we're like, I don't want to do that. That sounds really uncomfortable. That's really inconvenient. Or I can't do that. And there's this little voice of this servant of his. He's like, just try it. Just move down that path. Just let's see. Right. And he has this openness to the will of God. And we still tell his story thousands of years later. Right. Because of this amazing profession of faith. And then the responsorial psalm is... Well, hold on, hold on. Before we go on... Yeah, I... This is the... the, I didn't mean to fully leave, but yes, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I know that you're making a a transition, but but I I look at this moment where... um, Alicia is 
asking his servant, it's actually a really beautiful image of what is going to come. And, and in a certain sense of how we are interacting. Yes. And, and, um, and what's hard, too, is, is I'm in pastoral ministry. And oftentimes you just, you can see into somebody's life and they're mm. talking about things. And you're like, why don't you start doing a little exercise? Yeah. And they're like, but I have all these spiritual problems. And you're like, no, right. no, no. Like, like actually, you don't know that like even mm. just eating a little bit of good food mm. would, would, I remember there was a kid who came to me and mm. he was like, man, I'm really trying to, he was trying to discern his vocation. He's like, I think I'm supposed to be a priest. And literally the Lord put on my heart. I was like, is your room clean? <laughs> I was Uh-oh. like. I, and he that was, stressed that question stressed me out. I did, uh, yeah, and and he it literally it was the first thing that came to my mind and heart. And he was like, "No," and I was like, "How long has it been since you've had a clean room?" Oh no, he's like two years. Oh no, and I said, "I said you're not going to be able to discern your vocation until you clean your room." Oh man, and uh, and uh, he uh, dropped spiritual direction with me. He couldn't clean his room. Wow, I know, it's. So different, but yeah, I mean, you're, I see the connection you're making, which is which is just because like, Naaman's yeah. thinking the same thing. He's like, "Don't you understand? Like, I want something bigger than that. I want some sort I need of the divine big revelation." Yeah. yeah, and and I'm like, I'm give like, me an incantation to I, tell me the truth. I'm I'm like I'm wow. like because as long as you have all of these other wow. commitments that exist within your life, because everything out of place mm. in your in your life yeah. is a commitment to actually put it into place, right? And so when you actually start putting things into place and go mm. KonMari or whatever, then you, <laughs> you know as you spark some joy with stuff and you spark, actually spark the joy. You, you either get rid of the commitment yeah. or you actually fulfill the commitment what happens is that yeah. is that you never become mm. free to actually do what you're supposed to do and this is what's this is what's hard about uh, about like this this moment with Naaman is he's like he's like dude are you saying like I could just take a I could take a bath he's like no <laughs> right I'm gonna In act- really muddy water right cool. I want I want you to actually do something that is of obedience yes 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 and that's and that's actually where I think that we can move on in this beautiful way but yes. but it's an no, obscure right. obedience because you're like I don't even know who you are man yes but again the openness and the trust that Naaman actually moves in it's really kind of beautiful and I, I didn't tell the bread there's another piece to this story which we don't have to go into but Naaman's I'm sorry Elisha's servant mm-hmm. did you read the rest of this it stinks uh-uh. Elisha's servant who I think is the same guy who told Naaman to do this stuff he hears like Oh, wait, he offered you a ton of money? Oh, cool. Hey, Alicia, I'll be right back. And like he sneaks away and he runs off and he's like, oh, actually, Naaman, my master actually said, no, he will accept, you know, all of those talents of silver that you brought. He changed his mind on that. And Naaman's like, oh, cool. Here you go. And then Alicia's like, what have you done? But I guess the point of bringing that is that the, the part of the beauty of the story is this foreigner, this pagan, you know, this outsider shows this profound, not only faith, but obedience, like you said, in a way that the servant of the greatest prophet of the time in Israel can't even do. And there's there's meant to be a juxtaposition. Mm. The guy who should know better doesn't. And the guy who has no reason to know better absolutely does because the eyes of faith have shown it to him. But it, yeah, it's kind of a juxtaposition, which again, then the psalm The Lord comes has revealed in. His, to the nations his saving power. And literally what it says, you know, if you read this into Hebrew, it says the Lord has revealed to the goyim, the Gentiles, the outsiders, his saving power. Nations to us sounds, sounds pretty just kind of tame or political or universal, right? It's not a statement of universality in the psalms. In the Hebrew, it's not saying, oh, he's revealed it to everybody. 
it's literally a provocative psalm saying the Lord has revealed to the outsiders his saving power, which is a little bit harder than just the Lord has revealed to everybody. Yes, he's revealed it to everybody. Yes, he will reveal himself to everybody who has openness of their hearts. But this is saying sometimes it's the last person that you'd expect. It's not just everybody, but it's specifically the foreigner, the outsider, the other, the goyim, the Gentile, right? And then it says, so sing to the Lord a new song which is what Naaman is doing. His life is sort of a new song to the Lord because of the wondrous deeds God has done and his right hand has won victory for him. I think it's funny that this reference in the psalm, the reference to the right hand is always a military reference. The right hand of a military leader or the king always represents their, their military authority. And God in his military authority does what? Well, he heals people from leprosy. He cures people by washing in water. He brings new life. That would, most military arms bring death. God's military arm brings new life, which is just kind of, a, again, a beautiful juxtaposition. And it's a new song. This is the yeah. thing is, is if you're talking outsiders, then you're talking about actually something that's, that's coming in that's not just your tradition. Exactly right. It's, it's like saying, no, sing a new song to the Lord, and which is like saying like, hey, bring all that you are into this gig. Yeah. Right. And, and Naaman's like, okay. He's like, cool, I'll, I'll do will it. sing a new song to the Lord. I can hear him like humming as he's walking back to Syria. <laughs> sing a new song unto the Lord. Do you know my, my, um, uh, <laughs> my brother always said he said uh, the, <clears throat> the person who enjoys their whistling is usually the person who's whistling. With the, <laughs> what? The is person a proverb? Who, the person who enjoys their whistling is usually the person who is whistling. Not anybody else around. Not anybody else, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't think that that's... I like my whistling. I like your whistling. I and mean, I'm not whistling. I don't even know how to whistle. That's um, a secret about me that I've never told anybody. I can't whistle. <laughs> well, it's out there now. <laughs> I know. Nobody listens. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's paying attention. All right, attention so Second Timothy. It brings us to Second Timothy. Second Timothy 2, 8, 13. So we mentioned that Second Timothy, so it's one of, again, the pastoral epistles. Paul is writing this letter to his... His friend, really, Timothy, who's taken over the, the episcopacy, the bishopric in Ephesus. And he writes First Timothy, which is kind of the nuts and bolts. It's the one to be read to the congregation to let them know what sort of, you know, leadership stuff. It's what, it's what a, a Roman emperor would send when he was installing a new governor. So everyone would understand that he has the authority of the king. Second Timothy is a much more personal letter to his friend, who is a bishop, while Paul is on his deathbed, contemplating the end of his life and passing on whatever wisdom and authority he has to Timothy now, which is the context for this. So it's interesting because Paul is is laying out, he's like, I'm suffering for this. I'm in chains. And he's literally in prison. Yeah, I mean, that's not prison. a metaphor. Right, right. You're like, and, and it's saying, like, if we have died with him, then we shall also with, live with him. Yeah. In in a certain sense, he, uh, yeah, we can use all this gov gubernatorial language, mm -hmm. like we can use these kind of forms and structures. But the truth is, is that every Christian bishop, mm. every Christian priest, every Christian that exists within their towns, especially in this time, um, you mean this time or that time? That time, okay, that time. I, and this no, time. I'm just curious. I w I was referring to him actually as both. It remains as an outsider. To the rest of the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so like, yes, yeah. internally, there's one, there's oh. one thing in the document to say. You know what? We acknowledge internally the, the mm. supreme dignity, and that we actually have an equal footing with the governmental structures that exist around, around right. us. But we absolutely. also know that 
we're going to be put into chains because we are going to remain the the nations. We're going to yes. sing this new song, and they're not going to dance, and they're not going to laugh, and they're not going to cry. You know, it's funny that you say that. Now I'm just I'm thinking out loud. And you mentioned something earlier that made me start my mind started heading down this direction. Naaman is frustrated with Elisha because Elisha doesn't come out and do any big grand act over him. Right. What does he do? He sends his representative to send this message, which in a certain sense, I mean, I think there's a little subtle foreshadowing of the hierarchical structure of the church in that. He sends his al-bayit. Well, but but even even more than that, like we have the bishop. The bishop just came to visit yesterday. But you are, by virtue of your priestly office, a representative of the bishop. Your priesthood exists in the episcopacy of the bishop. Right. So we don't always encounter the bishop. We don't always run into him on the street. And that's okay because we don't need to see the bishop because we have his priests. Right. Who are actually there present with us. And so... Elisha is, is sort of embodying in the subtle way what the church will actually become. Mm. But again, on another level with what you just said, what Naaman's frustrated by is that he wants Elisha to come out and do a big, powerful, you know, showmanship kind of an act that he's used to, that's on par with what their magicians probably do up in Syria and what the Egyptian magicians do when they're trying to heal people. These big acts that are all about them. And so what Elisha's doing is using, I mean, Naaman has a category for this. He has a category for prophets or people like that who can bring healing. So you're like the governmental structure, kind of the, the gubernatorial th- parallel that, that Timothy is given. But it's so different because we're meant to be other than. We're apart from that. And mm. so, yeah, Naaman's like, oh, Elisha's probably like that. And he's like, yeah, I am like that, but it's not going to be anything like you expect because it's not about me. And actually, I'm not going to come and pronounce any incantations over you or do any song and dance before you. I'm actually going to do nothing because I'm going to send my servant and I'm going to go send you to a, a muddy river just to show that it is utterly and totally God doing it, not me. Right. But he's taking the structure that Naaman understands, but then completely up- upending it, which is the whole task of the church in the ancient world, right? Taking the sort of similar structure, a parallel government and, and earthly reality, but then completely turning it on its head. Oh, it's the kind of kingdom where the king actually dies on behalf of his people. It's the kind of structure where the leaders are actually the servants, where the first are the last, where the last are the first. But the structures are, are there's a parallel but it's meant to be flipped on its head, right? which is, I think, what you're saying. And in describing that, what Paul says to Timothy is, what does he say? It's right in the middle. Therefore, um, I bear with everything for the sake of those who are chosen. Well, who are chosen? Whoever the heck God wants to be. Naaman was chosen. Right. And I bet Elisha was pretty surprised when the military commander of Syria came to his door. Right. He's like, hey, can you help me? Right. And he, but, he, but Elisha had the, the spiritual insight to be like, God's brought you here. God has chosen you for some reason. I wish it was the king of Israel for Pete's sake. I wish it was the Mm. priests who were here, but it's not. It's you. And praise be to God. So I'm going to be faithful to that. So that, Paul says, they may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ together with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. In a very real foreshadowing and also kind of symbolic way, what Naaman does is enter into what will become the Christian symbol of dying to oneself and rising to new life. Right. Naaman embodies what Paul is talking about. The one who God has chosen, who might not be the first person right. we expected, who then dies to himself so that he can be risen to new life. 
Mm. And Naaman, Naaman responds with, I want to give God, not just your God, but the God who is. The God that even the kings of Israel don't understand. Naaman says, oh, I'm going to give him glory. And I like the idea of him whistling on his way back to Damascus. (laughs) Because that's the only proper response. Right. Sing a new song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, which leads us, uh, Jesus, who's (coughs) continuing his journey to Jerusalem, and he, ten lepers met him. All right, all right. Can I say two things? Nope. Because I'm, I'm, this is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my trust things. in you. I don't have three things. I have two. Okay, you get to because say one. I see. <laughs> dang, dang it. Well, look, I, I see the sort of obvious parallel, and I don't mean that in a jerky way, but I mean there, there is an obvious parallel. Naaman is a leper. Well, the language. Is, oh yeah, the yes, there are lepers. Naaman's a leper. <laughs> I didn't even think about. Naaman's a leper. <laughs> these guys are lepers. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, but grammatically, the formula is the same. Na- uh, Elisha tells Naaman, go and dunk yourself in the water. Jesus says to the ten lepers, in the same grammatical structure, if you read the Septuagint, go and show yourself to the priest. The instruction is almost grammatically identical. Oh. So you're already thinking like, oh, Jesus is actually sort of imitating the words of, Elijah, of Elisha. Go and do this thing. Um, but here's what's weird. So, yes, there, there's those parallels. Jesus is dealing with these things. He's not showing himself to be like, oh, look at all these amazing mighty deeds. I'm going to I'm going to amaze and, and dazzle you with. No, he's going to do it in the quiet. He's going to do it in the secret place as they're walking back to the priest. He's 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 eluding expectations, which is beautiful. So there, there's all that. But here's what I'm hung up on. Hit me. OK. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, literally following upon what we had last week, his disciples have just asked him for more faith. They're confused. He's been talking about rich people and Lazarus and people rising from the dead and all the stuff, right? Prodigal sons. So now they're going, they're trekking along to Jerusalem. And he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. So he's up in the Galilee region around the Sea of Galilee in Samaria. That's really important to me. So while he's in Samaria, it says he entered a village and 10 lepers met him. They stood at a distance, right? Because they know Levitical law. They know they're not supposed to approach him. This guy's a Jew. Um, we don't come near him. So they they yelled, though, saying, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus saw him. He said, go and show yourself to the priest. Again, really similar to what Elisha does. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take almost a hands-off, seemingly hands-off approach to this. Go yourself to show yourself to the priest because the only way that they can enter back into community in a real way is for the priest to declare them having been clean. It's not enough for Jesus to just be like, oh, you're healed. Now you're back in. No, there's a certain structure of society that Jesus has to um, sort of um, respect. And, and he does, which is humbling. Um, so they were going as they were going, they're cleansed. Then one of them realizing he'd been healed, he returned glorifying God in a loud voice. Glory to God, he's yelling. Singing he, a new song. Singing a new song. Again, these beautiful connections that I get. Then he fell at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Why is it not surprising that he is a Samaritan? Because they're in Samaria. Because they're in Samaria. What, there's Samaritans in Samaria? Yes, there are. <laughs> Jesus said in reply, there were 10 cleansed where they're not. Where are the other ones? But none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God. None but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God. What is he? A Samaritan. In Samaria. In Samaria. So what is he not? Israelite. A foreigner. He's in Samaria, which is full of Samaritans. And a Samaritan comes to him in Samaria. And Luke tells us he's a foreigner. That's weird to me. That's a weird decree. (laughs) 
<laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I I do. I mean, I'm hung up on there, it, there, and I have summarily something oh, geez, that's really on, hard man. to come on. You have to. I mean, no, you cannot good. say summarily that no, many right. times. So many times. Summarily, which means to summarize. Summarily. Oh, you are summarily summarizing. <laughs> oh, I can't do it. <laughs> no, it's it's which, weird. What it tells me is that when Luke said, and I'm not trying to so, overread oh, so, it, it so tells me that Luke means question. something different yes. by foreigner than simply a uh, uh, ethnic or political boundary. Right. He means something else. You know, I was talking to my brother about the concept, the philosophical concept of race. Okay. How do we actually get to what a race really is? Because, because uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, melanin, so the specific shade of your skin yeah. doesn't necessarily determine your no, race. No, it doesn't. I mean, there's very, yeah, light-skinned African-American people and vice versa. And yeah, it's... Right, right. Like, like yes. so, so, so those things, I mean, mm. geographical boundaries doesn't necessarily define it. It really doesn't. I can be a Nigerian in America just as I can be a, a, a Chinese person in Mongolia. Right. Totally. Like, like yep. uh, so, so yeah. he had a, he had a professor and he, um, he, his, his, one of his professors, he kind of worked through this idea, getting to the point on where the concept of, of race is actually family. Hmm. That's, that makes sense, actually. So, so a foreigner, so when, so in a certain sense, what huh. we're doing is we're actually encountering, we're having kind of, um, uh, uh, this foreigner is of a different family. This is like, and so, but what family do the Samaritans come from? They're half, it's, they're half alienated because they're 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 half wizarding and half Muggle. Oh jeez, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. No, they're the ten northern tribes, right? They're the kingdom where Elisha was. They got pulled out into the nations. Yes, and so the ones we call the Samaritans are basically everyone who was left who was a part of the northern kingdom of Israel, many of whom intermarried with these other nations through the Assyrian Empire, the ones who were left there mm. are the Samaritans, which means part of the reason the Jewish people hate the Samaritans and vice versa so much is not because they're completely other, but it's family members that we had a deep rift with. Right. And you know that family fights are always worse than any other kind of fights, right? Oh, yeah. That's who the Samaritans are. Mm. So they're not entirely foreign, even by family. But they have been separated from the rest. A lot of it by choice, a lot of it by force, historically speaking. But not only are these guys, these lepers, separated brethren, but they're lepers who are separated brethren, well, which means now they're completely removed from the family that is already removed. Right. Well, here's what I'm thinking is, is that the other uh, members of the 10 were, some were Israelites and some were... It could be. Some were Israelites and some were Samaritans, which means that they were already actually gathering as something that looked like the church. Because it's, because it, oh. in the midst of this is, well, that's that, interesting. is that, is that what is Jesus actually coming to do uh, to establish a one holy Catholic and apostolic church? And so he's saying one other person... So the the nations are gathering, and here is this. Yes, talk to me. Sorry, I just I just thought of something. Okay, and others have probably thought of this before. Hit me. And I don't know if this has to do with the foreigner thing. Or not, but, <laughs> okay, but wait a second. I just again, I'm sure people have thought of this. But what does Jesus say? What is his instruction to them? Go show yourselves to the priests, and they all take off. Right, except for one. Who does what? Goes to the true priest. Goes to the high priest. Mm. He is the only one 
who truly does what Jesus has asked. Mm. Go and show yourself to the... I'm, I'm a little nervous about that because I think there is an actual historical reality where Jesus wants them to be accepted to go back and into the communities. To, yeah, absolutely. And he says priests, and I, I, so I'm hesitating. But in a very I, real way, this guy kind of sees beneath the subtext, and he's like, oh, wait a second. And could it be, could it be, if your theory is correct, that there's kind of a mixed ethnicity here, so to, so to speak, that there are some who are going to Levitical priests. They're going to the priests of the Jews, you know, the, the, the priestly structure. But this guy, who's a Samaritan, Samaritans are not bound by Levitical law. They've removed themselves from the covenant. They're not part of the Jewish mm. people. They don't follow the Torah. So while the others are going and showing themselves to Levitical uh, Levitical priests, suggesting that maybe they are Jewish, or maybe many of them are, this guy, who maybe is not, maybe he is one of the Samaritans. Maybe he, he comes from the people who have been cut off for whatever reason, and he's like, well, I'm not bound to Levitical priests. I'm bound to you. He's like Naaman, who's like, no, I see the truth. I'm not bound to anything. This God is God. He's the one true God. And only this leper fully obeys the command that Jesus gave to right. show yourself to the priest. Absolutely. I, I've just never thought of that before. I think and again, I assume somebody else has. Yeah. Because now that I say it, it seems obvious. But and I then, don't know. That's kind of cool. Which is just, which is just absolutely beautiful because it's this obedience. I yes. mean, you look at Naaman and it's he the came, obedience. He yeah. came back, and it's actually the obedience that heals the soul. And sometimes obedience is hard to figure out. Wait, what do you want me to do? Oh, I don't know. I love the the image of this guy on the road. He's like, okay, go show myself to the priest. I got to show myself to the priest. Wait a second. What if that guy? You know, I mean, the moment of like, <laughs> wait a minute. I like that guy. <laughs> I like that baby. I like that baby. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, there we are. That's all I got. I I mean, I think about it because it's really it's really as a priest, I can feel both the servitude of Elisha so that yeah. I know that I'm the servant of the Lord. Yep. And so that when people come and they show themselves to mm. me, then I get to offer them healing. At, at actually not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level, sometimes on a physical level. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this, we had somebody heal their knees at our last BA. I mean, it was like, really? yeah, yeah. You told that kid to clean his room. <laughs> I told that it's kid. on a physical level. <laughs> yeah, you did. He sure, yeah. he sure didn't listen he didn't to me listen on to that me. one. Archbishop, you know, the archbishop used to come by my room when he was oh, rector of no. the seminary and he would make me clean oh, it. No. He, would, he would check in every week. <laughs> really? And yesterday he was telling the story about Did he look in lunch. your room? Uh, he did not. I said. Yeah. I said. I made my bed just for you. to Did come you here. make sure that it was clean? Oh just yeah, and made my yeah. bed and That's put good. my laundry away. I mean, oh yeah, dude. <laughs> I, like Archbishop comes to visit, you better clean your room. You clean your room. Yeah. Cool. All right, you guys. Well, go show yourselves to the priest, especially if you need healing. Yeah. And, uh, and which is a symbol sins. of confession. Right. Oh, you need healing? Go show yourself to the priest. Confess your sins. Be reconciled. And Go from death to life. And then you'll be able to encounter and then come back to me in the Eucharist. Yes, I mean, like, yes. it's There's like so many layers to so this. So many wow. layers to, to a Catholic. It's mm. it's actually like really normal. So Exactly right. Oh, so, thanks for this, Father. Seven sacraments. Opened my mind. See, the uh, Alicia is. Seven. Actually, the, the seven sacraments, which boom. all involve going and showing yourself to the priest. <laughs> That's true, actually. <laughs> Man, boom. Yeah, which all starts in baptism, and then the rest, it's like, and then the holy ground, and, and then we actually get a portion of the promised land, foretaste of heaven Absolutely as we do right. it, and that's actually where we worship. Two mules load. Two mule loads, please. Two mule loads. Two mules load. Two mules loads. 
Hamilton. All right. All right. God See bless you. you. Bye, Toronto. Goodbye, everyone. Hamilton. 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 Near, near Toronto. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.